The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org. Thank you to our musicians. Thank you to our creative team, the skit writing, acting, and production team for their third appearance in worship. It's great to have all of us together. These are strange times, you know, when you put your mask on the pulpit. And they just seem to keep getting stranger and harder for some reason, it occurred to me this week that it's sort of like the opposite of the song Dayenu that we sing at the Passover Seder. You know, that, that traditional song from the Haggadah where we talk about all the moments of delivery and the miracles that saved us. Each one would have been enough. These days, I feel like we have this string of scourges, of violent murders, of fires, 29 days and counting of unbreathable air, one added on top of another. It would be sufficient to challenge and to upend any life, given all the rest that comes into a life, sometimes overwhelming. And I don't know about you, but this Wednesday's red skies and the darkness that didn't seem to lift even a little until the end of the day, well, it felt like doom, like an exclamation point. And then the fires blazed harder, more destructive in Oregon. It would have been sufficient, any one of those. So for you and me, these days continue to be days in which our routines are upset, planning is hard, if not impossible, where real natural disasters and social and cultural earthquakes shake and open up and expose existing fissures, where the ground beneath us that once we thought stood firm continues to shake and surprise us. Some of it, some of it will make us better when this is all over. All of it, all of it challenges our resilience. And to paraphrase Evie White, it makes it hard to plan the day. And I'm an optimist, but even if rains come and the fires stop, it may be through June at least, and maybe further, that we are in this strange, shut-down form of life. And I will be honest, I'm not sure what it means or will take to live through that. And I will be honest, some days I am challenged to know even how to begin. How about you? Do you ever, like in our reading this morning, stand in the kitchen and tell your palms and the empty kitchen that you don't know what else to do? 
How do we live through a year of this, my friends? Well, I was asking myself this, thinking, pacing through the apartment in part like some caged tiger the other day, wondering what it would be to find some compass to guide me through this storm, through the open waters, stormy of this year. And then something came to me, something that I wanted to share. Our nephew, who'd come to stay with us when his college shut down freshman year, mid-March, and stayed until he was allowed back home to India until this August, he was in a room, and because I couldn't think of an answer, I did what I sometimes do when I'm tortured by life's existential questions. I clean. It feels at least very firm and practical with obvious outcomes. So I went in to clean his room and prepare it for an office, which we desperately need these days, and I Well, my eyes caught something on the wall, something that was there forever, but you know how things sometimes you stop seeing them when they get too familiar. Well, that was what it was, this image. It it was a lithograph that my parents had given me years ago, done by an artist that they both love. The artist is Thomas Hart Benton, born in the Midwest, known for his rounded, curving lines and his signature clouds and American themes. He was the leader in the regionalist movement in the U.S. that focused on subjects that were previously not thought worthy of art, often centering contemporary, working-class Americans. The piece that I have, it's called Plowing It Under. It's of a man holding an old plow bent over slightly, leaning into the work, the plow being pulled by a mule. It's an image of a man and a mule doing hard work, farmer's work, plowing under last year's crops to make room for this year's new planting, a new season. Well, that caught my imaginative attention I mean, I'm getting ready for a new planting season. We all are, so I moved in closer. The man in the image, it turns out, is a black man. I'd never come close enough to the piece to see that. And in these days, well, when you have a surprise like that, you wonder, well, what Benton's relationship was with questions of race and racial equity whether despite the fact that you love the image, it belongs on your wall. So I did some research, and Benton, it turns out, was known somewhat for his progressive views around race, and it showed up where it could in his professional life, too. According to Smithsonian Magazine, in 1935, he took part in this widely advertised and publicized exhibition called An American, an Art Commentary on Lynching that was organized by the NAACP. It was the 30s and 40s. Benton taught African Americans in his classes, had African Americans over to dine in his Kansas City home, which was rare and was public in his disdain for racist ideas. In 1940, he said publicly, we in this country 
put no stock in racial genius. We do not believe that because a man comes from one strain rather than another, he starts with superior equipment. Years ago at the University of Indiana, it turns out students, students there asked that part of a 1933 mural that Benton painted of Indiana history that it be covered over or taken down because it shows Klansmen dressed in their white robes and the students protested that it, it was condoning hate and violence and racism. Well, they were right to wonder, to ask, but it, it didn't quite take in the fullness of the image or of the history of Indiana. Indeed, the history, the real history, is that in the 1920s, the state of Indiana counted a third of its male members as, as members of the Klan, and male citizens as members of the Klan, and half of its state legislature and its governor. And that the Klan, that it was taken down as a result of fearless reporting by the Indianapolis Times, for which the paper would win a Pulitzer Prize for Journalism in 1928. And indeed, if you look closely at the mural, the figures from the Klan, a real and honest piece of the state's history, not to be papered over or covered over, lest anyone forget an ominous, important reminder. They stand in the background while in front is a reporter and a printing press, an homage and a reminder of what brought the Klan down, that in the foreground. Given all this context to Benton's race consciousness and his love of the real people in contemporary times in which he lived, it isn't surprising then that some subjects of Thomas Hart Benton's work were black Americans. The image then just brought up so much immediately for me about the excavation that we are all intentionally doing around our United States history these days, particularly around the treatment of black, indigenous, and people of color. Even the image itself of the man at the plow with the mule, it's worthy of this excavation. It echoes other pieces of it. After all, not long ago, I happened to be listening to a podcast in which the speaker reminded the audience who was listening that the promise to freed slaves in America of 40 acres and a mule that it was never honored, rescinded even, that there was an intentional choice to keep freed blacks as labored workers. And meanwhile, meanwhile, one million white folks who applied for were granted claim to, yes, stolen native lands at 160 acres a pop. A million of them. Their 45 million descendants, she pointed out, right now reap the power of that accumulated wealth. Perhaps some of us are among them. That, of course, is just one example of U.S. policies steeped in inequity that amount to handouts to white, that plant the seeds that result in compounding white wealth, 
while reinforces the disenfranchisement of black Americans. Even just that wealth gap, if we talk about it, contributes to disastrous effects for black and brown and indigenous families. It's playing out right now, right in front of us, isn't it? I mean, after all, it's accumulated wealth that allows you to weather a pandemic when you lose your job without being evicted. It's accumulated wealth that often helps you get a kid through college, that helps you put a down payment on a house, that allows a person to rebuild after a fire even before the insurance payments come in, if they're gonna come in. And not having that cushion, that leg up, has you dangling over life's razor-thin edges, all of them, or just falling off any one of them until you hit the bottom. Looking at the man at the plow and thinking about all of this reminded me of one thing then about this year that I already know, and you do too, that some of the work some of the work that will pull and push us through our time together is already right in front of us. Since the horrors and the work of undoing systemic racism is ours to do, what we remember here, and this morning we were reminded of in the skit so beautifully, was that all that big work, it ties back to intimate places. And personal work we have to do, especially white folk. No matter what happens, today's skit and the others that Don and Mari and Michael and Rochelle have written and their performers like Giante have joined them to perform, those are invitations for us to just begin to see and acknowledge, then regret and change whatever patterns of thinking and acting that we have that do harm, whether we intended harm or intended in any moment or not, and most of the time we don't intend it, but it's still ours to undo. So that's part of the work that invites us into this year, a kind of North Star to guide us through all that storms around us. But there's more. More that that image of the man at the plow offered me the day I stood, transfixed in front of it. I mean, I thought too about the work the man was doing. Not just a black man in a hostile world, but just as a farmer. I thought about that life that was part of my father's father's early life, a life that is at the whim of weather and rain, that life that can watch a harvest be destroyed when blight or unwanted insects or fire arrives. I thought about how for farmers, Maybe you don't have the luxury of being paralyzed in existential crises at any threshold. How before dawn you have to rise to milk the cows because they won't let you forget that they're waiting. 
and how each season has its demands that you plow when it's time to plow, that you sow when it's time to sow, that you harvest crops when they're ripe and it's time to bring them in, that you can in summer so you can eat in winter. Help the cow calve when she tells you it is the hour of calving. Each day doing whatever is demanded until the sun sets and then resting and rising to face another day. I like that. It reminded me of how Mother Teresa is famous for saying, you can do no great things, only small things with great love and how she did so much in the world, left such an imprint simply by rising day after day to do small things with great love. So I got to thinking that this year, about this year, and how to begin it, and I, I thought of maybe this as a compass and a guide, this idea, this mantra, that when the whole of what is in front of us can feel overwhelming, and it can feel heroic even just to get out of bed. Maybe one way through this is just to commit to whatever is in front of us that day. To do it diligently, to do it faithfully, to do it with great love, to do it until the sun sets. To plow this field, just this one, just the one right under our feet, just the one we were given to tend to to just lean into the plow and do this piece of the work and then trust, and we do have to take it on trust that the harvests will come in and even great things will accrete that way day after day of faithful living. So I'm, I'm taking that mantra, that image, as mine to try on as a way through what promises to be an exciting, important, generative, and complicated, hard year. Before I leave you, though, I have a little more to offer. I did some crowdsourcing of wisdom before this sermon. I asked people on Facebook what mantra they had to get them through these days, lest you be left only with mine. 84 responses came in by the time I hit print, and here are some, but you can read through them all and whatever ones come in after this on my Facebook page. I offer them. Take which one you feel like will hold you and guide you through these days. From a friend whose land and cabin burned in the Napa fires, Remember what you had, not what you lost. All will be well, all will be well, and all manner of things shall be well, somehow. Looking up at the night sky. Those who have eyes to see, let them see. Psalm 91. Remembering that we got through hard times before. Remembering what I'm grateful for. Remembering in this moment, I am fine. 
grounded in the question, what good shall I do this day? Determined to make good of this. Do what you can. This too shall pass. For now, not forever. It's not over till it's over. This is not the end of the world. Or as Mary Gans wrote, in the Bible it says it came to pass. Nowhere does it say it came to stay. November 3rd, I voted today. Saints, preserve us. I work for God. We will not give up on love. One day at a time. Keep me sober just for today. Be here now, mostly. It could be worse. Keep moving. No feeling is final. Connection, not perfection. To look for the love, compassion, and kindness in the world and practice it yourself. No need to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. To paraphrase Wendell Berry, not by my will alone is the house carried through the night. And for many of you, it was a song that anchored you. Day by day from God's spell, I know this rose will open from our hymn book. But for so, so, so many of you, what you said anchored you, that you sang in your head to ground you, that you sang as you walked through the day sometimes, was our meditation on breathing, or your own version of it. So we'll sing it together to end the service. When I breathe in, I breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. Blessings. I love you. Here we go. The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.